0: It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen.
1: Welcome to the show, Tiffany Cherry alongside Mark Allen. Happy International Women's Day or Women's Week because uh, this will obviously run throughout the week and break the bias is the theme for 2022. So have that in the front of your mind as you think about uh, how you can engage more people with your clubs and facilities. It has been uh, a huge week um, in, a, in a pretty tough week around Australia on many fronts. We do want to recognise um, we have lost a, a significant friend of golf and a sporting icon in Shane Warne, which is absolutely tragic. And Mark, um, I know that you knew Shane, and, and as did I. And it's uh, something we, we want to acknowledge and send, obviously, our best wishes to his family and friends.
2: Uh, well said. I didn't know him so well. I, I, I only knew him just to say good day. Uh, but he was always a you know a lovely fella. It was was as simple as that. And um, just seeing what the family had to say today, I don't think you could have uh, said what you said any better, to tell you the truth. He was a great friend of golf, Um, loved the sport, and was very, very good at it as well. So um, unfortunately, we've lost the legend, which which is sad. But look, plenty plenty more happening in the world of golf, though. There is stacks happening.
1: Absolutely. Now, I want to know about your thoughts on the setup at Bay Hill.
2: Well, it's the biggest story in golf, I think, this week. Um, it's kind of trumped Phil Mickelson and and the uh, uh, what's going on in Dubai and um, you know all those other bits and pieces. When you look at people who love the game on social media. You know, it's split right down the middle. Some people love seeing the pros struggle, and really, they did in that last day. Only three mm. players broke par. One of them was uh, Lucas Herbert, by the way. He shot 68 in the last day, playing with Adam Scott, and moved himself right into the top ten. So that performance shouldn't be not spoken about because that is sensational. Yep. Um, especially on the doorstep of going into the Players Championship this week, which is in, you know one of my favorite tournaments. I love watching it. You know, it's one of those tournaments I get up early for, and you know, flick the TV on yep. nice and early when, I, when I'm up. But the the way the golf course was set up, you know, I'd hate to see golf set up like that every single week. But if it's just set up for one week, you know, whether it's the US Open or the US PGA or maybe for whatever reason, Arnold Palmer, they want to do it. I get it. But when you see greens that hard and it's the Queensland style green and they're that hard they do become really temperamental and they really, the, the, the bounce become, it's not an honest bounce when it lands on those greens. And that's why one of the reasons you never see majors played on Bermuda greens is because of that bounce. You know, like you just don't know when the greens get hard what that ball's going to do. Mm.
1: How do they get it? So hard. How do they set the greens up to to behave like this?
2: Yeah, it's a combination of rolling. It's a combination of what's underneath the soil. You know, a really sandy base like we see at Royal Melbourne and, and what we saw at the Athena uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week. That makes an enormous difference. Um, and, and you could see this week. You know, some players they were hitting five irons off a tee and, and not being able to stop the ball on the par three. You know, might have been downwind a little bit, and, and that's unusual for America now. The hard bit is when when you see it bounce like that in Britain, what you can do is you can land the ball on the apron and you'll get what's known in in the business as an honest bounce because the ball will bounce the same on the apron as it does on the greens. And one of the reasons that is is because it's the same grass and the same underneath. But when you play golf uh, in America and in Australia, quite often the the grass that's on the green and even these days on the fringe in the fairways, it's all different. So you get a different bounce on every single surface. Uh, but this week, you know you could see players they were landing the ball just short of the green, it would stop dead because uh, it would land on the basically a cooch sort of grass you'd land the ball two foot on the green and it would run to the very very back. so you know some of the players are really upset. Uh, I know Rory McElroy was really upset. I think he shot a couple of seventy sixes on the weekend again, I don't mind seeing it every once in a while, but I hope that's not the norm and and you've got to take into account that honesty. In the bounce that i'm talking about you know rural melbourne for instance they put in these fescue uh surrounds yep. and that that's hopefully because the greens are so hard they want their members to be able to land the ball short of the green and have it bounce up and and get some degree of honest bounce on a fringe um and, and that makes the golf course reasonably fair but what we saw this week i mean you really had to stripe it you had to hit driver a long way you had to hit a short iron in and even then with short irons you know you had to allow for a bounce that you really weren't sure what was going to happen. That frustrates professional golfers because you can get a bad bounce here and there and go over the back and and you make your double bogey. And and then, of course, their head's off and the whole lot. Mm. Thankfully, it doesn't happen every week. Um, But anyway, every once in a while, I don't mind watching either, to tell you the
1: truth. <laughs> Hey, uh, did you catch any of the women's golf on the weekend? Uh, our top two women in uh, Minji Lee, obviously, and Hannah Green playing superb golf.
2: Superb golf. The winner, of course, uh, six wins in the last 10 weeks. Incredible to watch this young lady play. Um, some of the stuff she's doing statistically, um, incredible. Just just absolutely incredible. And I know Martin wants to talk about her a little bit later, so we'll let him uh, yes. have that little uh, bit in the show. Um, but, yeah, look, Minji Lee, honestly, 63 in the last round. Um, I, I get 63s, but I don't get 63s in a last round when you've got a chance to win. That is a completely different mindset yeah, of absolutely. golf that I'm not familiar. Um, uh, but the, that basically goes hand in hand with being – a superstar of the caper because they have this ability to shoot a low score um, when when a is on the line. Minji Lee's got that mm-hmm. in spades. I mean, she's not quite where um, she'd like to be. And, and, you know, she wants to be the person who's won six times in the last 10 events. You know, so that, that's her goal. Uh, anyway, she's improving every single week and uh, big wins aren't far away.
1: Yeah, and uh, back home locally, we've obviously had the TPS, Bonnie Mm -hmm. Doon, and we just mentioned Hannah Green there, Hannah Green's uh, partner, who's a great golfer in his own right, um, Jared Felton. We'll be chatting with him very shortly, but were you impressed with his game?
2: Yeah, look, the message is coming from players who see him hit the ball is that he is one of the very best. So, uh, you know, last week with the wet uh, surface that they were playing on, um, you know, I think the best ball striker's of the week rise to the top. Uh, he clearly did that. Uh, and to win the playoff uh, after playing four holes of the last round and then it's all cancelled, the booty of that first over playoff, that's a mm. great mindset as well. So, From he's the a rough of, too. Yeah, it, that is. It, he's a, he, This is a classic. He just needs to get on a European tour or a Northern Hemisphere tour somehow, whether it's the secondaries or Europe itself. Um, and I think he's, you know, we're going to see him a lot on Friday nights if he can get himself through those gates.
1: Now, we've got Oaks Cypress this weekend, hopefully. Oaks Cypress, I just want to flag, won an award for the week. Uh, it was an environmental award, the C Sports Environment Alliance. I mentioned mm-hmm. these last week, and uh, and they won the non-member award for what they're doing from an environmental sustainability skew, which is fantastic. So, Good well done to them and um, great leadership, and hopefully we'll see more of that in golf around Australia. But the, there's so much of this course that's underwater at the moment. Do you think we'll actually get to play?
2: Um, well, I think we're at the mercy of what uh, Mother Nature has to say about that. It's a clay-based golf course, so uh, a difficult one, uh, hard to uh, get rid of that water. I don't, I don't know where it goes on the clay base uh, up there. So, fingers crossed.
1: Well, there's uh, a lot of golf courses underwater around Australia, and it's been uh, obviously part and parcel of this incredible floods that have hit um, the country, and. Uh the damage has been absolutely enormous. The man who can tell us more about that and the recovery process that has already begun is the General Manager of Clubs and Facilities of Golf Australia, Damien Debowen. Damien, thanks for joining us on the show. How big is this damage, Bill?
3: Uh, certainly it's it's massive, Tiff and Mark. Great to be here. But so the natural disaster, as we know, has affected so many people, um, both in Queensland and New South Wales. So uh, To give you some context, obviously, Homes, families, businesses, there's been so much destruction and um, and we're really clear that that's the first priority. At the same time, we saw during COVID um, that golf actually matters and people will find need to find a way back to normal life and due course. Um, but to give you context around the damage for golf and golf courses, um, in Queensland alone there's 130 courses that are being affected and um, 20 of those courses is what we're calling a significant impact, which... In monetary terms, is five hundred thousand dollars of damage or more, and that's that's after insurances and after everything else. So, it's been um, it's been horrendous.
2: So, is that when you talk about that sort of damage, it, is that sound like just clubhouse, or does that include clubhouse and course damage?
3: Clubhouse and course, Mark. I think, and this is all after insurances are picked up. We we believe there's going to be gaps of half a million. There's certainly numbers that not some courses that have been completely covered. Uh, you know, the, the, the work to reconstitute greens and fairways, clubhouses, water equipment, sadly, has been ruined as well. And so um, it's uh, it's really right across the board.
1: So where do you actually begin? Where does the recovery start?
3: Yeah, where we begin is that, you know, golf clubs, especially many of the regional and rural areas that have been affected, are very much part of the community and the community hub. And so the golf clubs have a role to play and many have been playing it. Um, some have been playing it in terms of giving people some refuge um, and it starts at the beginning. Um, A lot of the the clubs that we're seeing have have huge volunteer networks that are getting onto the courses to help clean the sludge away. I'm, I'm sure you've seen all the photos, but there's this covering of, I guess, brown mud, brown sludge that's actually rotting mud and so that destroys greens, it destroys fairways, so there's a massive clean-up effort to get that underway. So really the first stage is cleaning up what's there um, and then the second stage is starting to to rehabilitate the course. Uh,
2: I imagine uh, the insurance money is going to be very, very important, but you sometimes hear horror stories about the insurance money. Damien, have you got any forecast at the moment about, about how that situation is looking?
3: It's a bit too early to say exactly how it looks, Mark, but look, the, the insurance companies, and we do a lot with them as well, they understand the magnitude of it. Um, it is a natural disaster, and... and I think it's fair to say that over the recent years where there have been challenges, um, you know, they have have in many ways come to the party, but there is generally still a gap, and that's the real issue, Mark, where when clubs get down to it, what does that look like? And I think practically in terms of bringing clubs back online, um, some of them will start with three holes or six holes just to get their members playing again and then go to nine, nine holes and eventually get the course back into um, their form of glory, and we're talking about areas where you know, some of the golf courses are quite magnificent in that part of the world, um, and they perform a really important function for the local community. So it, it will get back to it, but it's a uh, yeah, it's a long, slow path.
1: Is there anything we can look at um, moving forward? Obviously, I mean, a, a flood is a natural disaster as is fire, etc. But things that we can put in place around golf clubs that can possibly mitigate the damage. Um, for future events,
3: it's a great question. I mean, it's a bit broader. I think they're talking about it now being a one in five hundred year mm. flood, and uh, and I, I heard the, uh, the in fact the mayor of um, the, some of the local areas today saying you just you can't mitigate for that type of thing as much mm. as you'd like to. I think in reality, it's um, it, it, there are things like some of the new building rules coming in around how high buildings need to be, um, you know, two point three meters above certain levels, those sorts of things are important. Um, it was interesting seeing some of the, the footage and some of the contact we've had through our team up in uh, Queensland particularly where um, some clubs had thought through that already. They had the equipment shed set on high ground. They managed to get all of their equipment into the high ground and protect that. So there's certainly things in place. Um, but this was obviously an incredibly extreme situation that's very hard for anyone to plan for. It's amazing. Be.
1: Your background, Damien, you have you were executive at Cricket Australia. You ran A-League. Um, there's been a number of other, you know, big big uh, titles that you've had through your history, um, working life. What are you planning to do your recent appointment at, at Golf Australia with clubs and facilities? What's uh, big on your agenda?
3: Well, I think what's exciting, Tiff, is that uh, we're in the midst of really wanting to transform golf. And, and to transform the experience that golfers have through golf clubs and facilities. And what we mean by that is that golf actually needs to be a sport for everyone, genuinely accessible for all Australians, women, men, boys, girls, um, irrespective of cultural background. And, and, and there's some parts of golf that are doing that well, but other parts of golf that really need to shift the dial in relation to that. And what's been interesting is that you know, COVID-19 global pandemic, which has been terrible for the world, um, you know, interestingly, and in some ways maybe bizarrely, golf's actually had a significant increase, not just in Australia, but in the US and the, the UK, so our major markets that we compare and contrast with on the back of that, like, like um yeah, you know, world's highest levels of golf participation ever. And that's been the case for a few reasons, um, but particularly from our perspective, you know, it's, it's a, a sport, it's an activity that people do connect with. And I think a lot of people have come back to what matters in their life and have decided that spending a bit of extra time on the golf course is important. So, so that's a big part of it. But I think um, Tiff to, to take it to the next level, that the really big piece of the jigsaw for us is to get to the point where everyone understands that all golf is golf and you know, whether it's people um, playing mini golf, whether it's people in a driving range, whether it's social golfers and you know, we need to bring everyone into the family and engage them Um, and have them as active parts of what is a wonderful, wonderful sport. And someone like me who's had a a lifetime journey with golf, I started playing mini golf on a family holiday around New Zealand when I was uh, 11 with my two younger brothers through to today being um, a member of the National Golf Course. It's a golf club. It's a fabulous journey. and I see how much it means from um, a physical activity, a mental activity perspective, the mental health of being around friends and families, and the fact you can play it for life
4: mm. means
3: that it's a big part of the the, the, um, the health solution for this country and other countries going well into the future. So it's an incredibly exciting time um, and we need to bring golf on that journey to embrace these opportunities.
1: And you you talked then about earlier about the, you know, Clubs coming back to your members coming back to playing, whether it be three holes or six holes, and we can apply that as well to women um, moving forward as uh, opportunities for them and uh, you know what they like to do and and how they like to uh, to undertake activities and with it with their limited time at times when they've got families as well. We're going to have to wrap it up, but just before we go, Damien, where can people go to? What, what what's a point A, a website. Etc. they can go to for more information on the recovery process of their club or, or what's going on around Australia.
3: So there's a lot of activity happening in the sort of local surrounds, Tiff, and there's, um, there's certainly, uh, you know, websites both in Queensland and for those in New South Wales where um, I think if you go to Dr Google, they'll probably point you in the right direction. From a Golf Australia perspective, you know, we are very close to this. We're certainly going to be there front and centre supporting where we possibly can. So, um, you yeah, feel free to come through our, our website channels and, and other and other social channels as well to pick that up. But it's an important issue. We understand how serious it is and um, we certainly are going to be front and centre for um, the wonderful people playing golf in that part of the country.
1: Yeah. All right, golf.org.au. Dame, thank you so much for joining us and we wish you, obviously, all the best um, moving forward with what is a massive task on your hands.
3: Thanks, Damo. Thanks a lot, to you. Thanks, Mark.
1: All right, coming up, a man who's tasted victory for the first time in a couple of years. We're speaking with Jared Felton right after this. Well, our cherry pick this week is a man who has uh, tasted victory for the first time in a couple of years in quite um, different circumstances, but we're, we're getting used to it around Australia. It's great to welcome Jared Felton to the show. Congratulations on your win over the weekend, Jared.
4: Thanks very much, and thanks for having me on.
1: Coming into the weekend, Jared, how confident were you with the floods going on around Australia? And uh, obviously, the course was underwater for a few days coming into the event that you'd actually be able to partake in a tournament.
4: Um, we thought we'd be okay because we got a couple of a couple of good days there for a while. Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was pretty rough. Uh, Wednesday prime got cancelled, so. We thought we'd get lucky there. Saturday was a really good day and we thought we'd, we'd be okay. But yeah, come Sunday afternoon, it was uh, the worst we could have hoped for, unfortunately.
2: Tell us about your play uh, during the week. What, what was your strengths? Where do you think you won the tournament?
4: Um, I hit it really good uh, for four days there. just played with myself um, when the conditions got tough there for a while. Even on the Saturday, I played really well and was quite surprised with how good the scores were. Um, so I just uh, stuck to my game plan. Played the best I could and and we had a tied for lead after 54, which was good.
2: Did you do anything different during the week? I mean any kind of technical change or was it just, you know, the ebb and flow of professional golf?
4: Um yeah, as you would know, it's definitely uh, up and down here and there. But um no, I just started working with uh Sean Lynch um the last month or so. So uh we've been doing some work uh in some certain areas and yeah it's been paying off at quicker than usual. But um yeah it's nice to be getting better each day.
1: Jared, your win continues, uh, the success coming out of the West. Uh, The Western Australians are dominating sport at the moment. But, uh, look, you have spoken publicly about um, the difficulty of lockdown and, you know, being in isolation and and even potentially um, thinking about walking away from Mm the game. Take us into your mindset in those times when, you know, so many athletes, so many of us around uh, the world have found ourselves. um, How was it for you and how were you able to work through that?
4: Yeah, it was tough. Um, I still remember playing New Zealand Open in 2019 and, and had a good finish there, finished tied 12th and all of a sudden I got on the plane back to Perth and and the whole world changed. We were, we were locked up for a good year there and I just missed out on my European Tour card um, by a shot that Q School before. So I was mm. kind of anticipating to go over to Europe during the middle of the year, play up, play up there for 15, 16 events and play Challenge Tour. Um, but obviously that never happened. So We got to keep our status, which was handy. The European tour did a really good job there of saying to the guys, you didn't need to travel. Um, It was going to be really hard. So we pretty much just anticipated traveling in in 2020 and 2021. So we, myself and Dimi Papadalos, uh, we packed up our bags and went over there during the middle of the year and I only lasted 10 weeks. Um, And that was enough for me to come home and kind of regroup and think about where things are going.
2: So, yes, when you you go through that process – and i know this um like uh, every professional golf you never give up okay that that is just that is in your mind i know it is every professional golfer you practice your life away and you never give up just tell us about wrestling with that decision because you know i, I stopped when i was 33 and i couldn't get past it for 2 years i reckon just thinking i was a quitter you know and and i know that goes through people's minds when they're tossing the coin up whether they're going to stop or not how how do you deal with that
4: yeah, I, I, I was selling chocolate bars for a while there at my home club, and you know it was becoming more of the norm. Um, unfortunately, playing tournament golf just it wasn't normal anymore. Whereas it's the only thing we knew uh, for, for most of my life there as an amateur and professional. So it became easy. I was with my friends twenty four seven. I was actually you know seeing people and not travelling. Um, that's the massive thing you miss out on when you when you're playing golf. So it became normal to be at home and you kind of thought otherwise of playing professional golf and packing your suitcase for six months and traveling to places that you've never seen before. So it was it was tough, um, but the people around me made me stick to it and, yeah, I kept going.
1: Your partner, Hannah Green, and I know this might be difficult at times because she's, you know, achieving a lot of success and you're sitting there toiling away. And But in terms of a partnership, how has she been able to help you from that mindset perspective?
4: Oh, she's been great. She's, you know, one of my biggest supporters. Um, that's for sure. So she's been uh, fantastic there, just telling me to take some time off when I needed to and try and regroup. And um, with my coach and with my physio and all those guys that, you know, my family that have been helping me through it, um, it's been really handy. And, you know, we grinded through the tough times and we've seen the light at the end of it
1: her success over the last uh, few weeks, and, and we'll talk about it a, a little bit later in, um, on the show with her at finishing tied for six on the weekend, but did that inspire you at the Vic Open and obviously TPS, um, you know, where she obviously uh, set, set a, a record in terms of being the first woman to, you know, to win against the men in a in a professional tournament?
4: Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember playing practice rounds with her at Vic Open um, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm really rusty this week. I'm not sure what to expect. and <laughs> And she goes out there and puts on an Absolute Clinic. And it, it kind of clicked with me for a second there because I feel like I have to play perfect golf to to win golf tournaments. And I know she's saying she's rusty and goes out there and wins. She's uh, great mentally. She's got a great mindset for the game. So it, it kind of clicked there. And then she went out to Cobram and uh, she absolutely taught us a lesson out there as well. So it was great uh, motivation for me to, you know, come out here, have a week off in Melbourne with her before she went to Singapore and, and come out here and play well.
3: Uh, we
2: keep on hearing uh, the last couple of people who've had on this uh, podcast, that they're in Rummy's gang, you know, Brett Rumford. He he helps them with their chipping. Now, I want to ask you as well. Now, I'm not sure whether you're at Mount Lawley also or not, but are you in this Rumford gang that is just destroying uh, Australian golf at the moment?
4: I'm not, but I have had some words with Rummy, and I've seen him do some stuff. Uh, when I was up in Europe for their uh, South Africa League, we asked him about his chipping and it was like an hour and i i walked off and i was like oh my goodness this guy knows so much about the game um it was it was pretty impressive so if anyone needs a short game lesson he's your man for sure
1: what about um i want to talk about the the DQ at the Australian PGA again another hard lesson god no one wants to be disqualified for signing an incorrect score how do you take that and you know what did that leave you with moving forward
4: yeah i um walked off the course i was Pretty upset. Uh, I was playing really well. I I got it to a reasonable score, and then I kind of fell apart there um, in the second round. And I just, I just had a brain fade. I just put my uh, card down, got it signed it, and then just gave it to the scorer. Um, Unfortunately, the scorer had a couple of cracks it, and there was the wrong score twice. And I said, "No, it's it's this score." Um, And she came back and said, "Yep, no worries, all good." And I said, "Okay, confirmed." Come back, and then the tour said that I signed for a lower score. So at the end of the day, I. I stuffed up there. I should should have taken my time and checked it. But, um, yeah, it was a lesson learned, and I definitely won't be doing that again.
2: Jared, you're up in the Hunter Valley. Um, we've got another TPS uh, on the cards, but we know the weather at the moment is just a nightmare uh, at Northern Queensland and, and in New South Wales. We, we only see it on the t- on the pitches, on the telly from here. But how's it looking? I mean, are we going to be able to play some golf this week?
4: Fingers crossed. Um, the tour is doing everything they can for us to, to play this week. Um, we weren't allowed on the course Monday or today, um, and the program's been cancelled. So they're going to do the best for us to get on the course. Uh, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we can we can go there and play. Hey,
2: tell us about Sean Lynch. Sean Lynch has had a lot of really big-name players. You know, Jason Day is probably the biggest name where Sean really helped him at the start. What, what sort of stuff has he helped you with?
4: Um, Pretty much just believing in myself and, and my own talent. Um, I'm probably my, my biggest enemy at times and most golfers can definitely say that. We like to self-sabotage, I think, a little bit too much. Um, and I try and play the game a little bit too, too perfectly. So he's just helping me in those areas, trying to believe in, in what I've been practicing for the last, you know, 26 years of my life. Um, so it's been really handy and he's been a great asset to me.
1: What will happen from here for you, Jared, where you've obviously got this weekend, but What's the, the layout for you um, for, the, for the rest of the year?
4: Yeah, so I've got this week um, Hunter Valley and then New South Wales Open um, and then uh, South Africa for two weeks for start of the Challenge Tour stuff. Those guys have already started up there. So I go play those two, come back to WA for the two events there and then back to, uh, back to Europe for the start of the uh, season.
1: And how much has the TPS helped your game and, and helped the, the local players around Australia? We talk about it, you know, we've talked about it for the last few months about obviously bringing the amateurs in and the juniors, et cetera. But uh, just in terms of what it's been able to do for Australian golf.
4: I think it's fantastic. Uh, what the tour has been doing for the last, you know, two years when we've had COVID and no events, they've uh, they've come out and, and give us you know, a schedule to, to play for the last three months, which has been fantastic. I mean, we haven't had golf to play for, the two years there and they've, they've given us some events which has been great
2: hey jared just on that um i'm i'm so happy with uh what's been happening just recently at the australian pga with the pathways um you know top three now get your card on europe and five players are going to get starts in asia and other little bits and pieces that are on the horizon Um, how's that make you feel as a bloke in your position? Because I, I, I pretty much say this every week. It's really hard being a professional golfer down here in Australia when headquarters is in the Northern hemisphere, it's hard to get up there. It's hard to get on those tours, but it seems to me with just some of the announcements of late, things are starting to roll in the direction that I reckon a lot of people in your shoes would be wrapped to see.
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the tour is moving in a, in a better position. Um, obviously, post COVID, um, it was really tough there for a while. I think the boys are doing a really good job. Kim, obviously, and Nick, they're they're doing things for the players, and and we're trying to get you know pathways for for most of us. We've always kind of had those tour school um, categories and stuff like that, but you know, some starts and majors, and some starts in some other events that guys can you know get the opportunity. And I think most guys out here just need a need a chance to go out there and play well, and if they do it, then away we go.
1: Yeah, I just want to go back to Hannah and and your thoughts on her performance over the weekend. She she has stated very publicly she wants to crack the top 10 for 2022 and she's kicked it off in impressive style, obviously, back here. But uh, she's really backed that up. And, you know, barring the first round, anything could have happened, really, uh, over the weekend for, you know, for her game.
4: Yeah, for sure. Um, Obviously, a slow start there for her. Um, obviously, a bit of travel stuff, and she's probably a little bit jet lagged and, and tired after those two weeks in Australia. It takes you out of you. Um, her media commitments were through the roof, so she she did really well there, just to win, mm. let alone do all that stuff. Um, and obviously, a really good, really good three rounds there to finish off the tournament. And I have no doubt that she'll be top ten come the end of the world.
2: Yeah, me too, me too. I reckon she's a star, Jaren. I mean, I want you to get in that top ten at some stage as well, believe me. But it's been it's been a real great ride for us watching Hannah Green, you know, and, and watching her win that major. Um, yeah, you know, when you go out to dinner, when you're just around the house together, I mean, she's obviously just an ordinary person like the rest of us. That that must give you, you know, just a wealth of confidence to know that you know you don't have to be super special to get in that top ten. It's just hard work, technique, you know, to thinking correctly. Does it? Do you ever think like that?
4: Yeah, I mean, she comes home and, and she does normal things. Yeah. Um, and We just go out to dinner and, and try and keep away from the golf course as much as we can, and, and then she goes out there and she's a different person on the golf course. She's She just likes to beat people, and she's really determined to get to, to top 10 in the world, and if not better, and it's um it's really great to see, and I'm definitely taking notes, that's for sure.
1: Well, we're really looking forward to seeing where this takes you. Jared. You've had a couple of years, as many have, but uh, this win, we put that behind you and the confidence you'll take moving forward. So who knows what the, what the rest will bring. But all the best stuff for this coming weekend. Hopefully, there'll be some golf played.
4: Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Yep,
1: Jared Felton there. And coming up after the break, we have the Gazelle will join us with all the news around the Traps. Well, it's great to welcome Martin Blake. Martin, a lot of news going on locally and around the world.
0: Yeah, good on your Tiff. Hello, Marco. Yeah, Jin Young is a bit of a story, isn't she? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, world number one on the women's women's side. And she, she's won six out of her last 10 LPGA starts, which yes. is just about unheard of. I mean, some of the stats that are coming out, I mean, oh, I can recall her coming to Kionga and winning the Women's Australian Open a few years ago, and she was just Metronomic, so suitable, yep. so straight, so accurate, so good with her irons. Uh, 15 rounds in <laughs> a row amazing. in the 60s.
1: But then she's only had one over, over, and then if you go back, there's something like another Another, another string. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, 30 That's rounds in a row under par. That's that As a pro, Marco, is that, is that mind-boggling? 30 it's 30 it's rounds? ridiculous. Because, you know, a
2: lot, of, a lot of the time you can wake up on the wrong side of bed. You, just, you get out, you don't feel right. You know, yeah. you could have had a headache. you
1: got jet lag, as uh, Jared alluded to.
2: You could have a sore throat. There, there are so many things that, uh, you know, are variable. You get a couple of bad bounces early in your round. I mean, there are so many tiny little things. But, you know, the, the one thing that strikes me about this young lady, her technique is flawless. I mean, it is picture perfect. I, I think when Aaron Badley was 19, 20, 21, winning Australian Opens as an amateur and an early in his pro, we used to look at that technique and go, wow, that is the best going around. And it it was back then. Um, But this young lady should be the poster girl for golf technique. It is so pure, and it's no surprise at all that she can perform like a
0: metronome. Minji Lee finished runner-up there in Singapore. It was her first start of the year which is pretty impressive to come out. She's Uh, she's had a long break back at home in Perth. She shot 63 in the last round. She was a chance to get into a playoff at one stage. So she's jumped up to number seven in the world. And Hannah Green, who we obviously obviously saw win twice here in Australia, she went over to Singapore for her first LPGA start and finished tied sixth after a Mm. slow start. So it was a good week. I think it's going to be a good year for the Australians on the LPGA. I really do. And you've obviously got... A couple of newbies with uh, Steph Kiriaku and Karis Davidson joining the yeah. troop yep. over there as well. So, you know, it's it's going to be a good year. Now, there's a new tournament, uh, guys, at the National, which is a club that I played at for a number of years. It's at the Gunna Matter course, which... Mm. Is the old Peter Thompson Ocean Course, uh, which was blown up and redone by Tom Doak a few years ago? It's a, it's a brilliant course. I don't yeah, know whether you've, either of you have played it. It's, yep. it's a yeah, fun it's course. Stunning. Stunning. It's very wide, and uh, all the trouble is up at the greens. It's it's very much in that Tom Doak sort of St Andrews Beach style. It should be wide down there too, Martin. It should be a lot. You're playing enough 20 knot winds half the time.
2: I mean, every time I've been down there, it seems like the minimum wind has been a three clubber, and most of the time it's a four or five club wind. So you need a little bit of room to play
1: which is the hole where you're standing there. I think it's a path three. It's beautiful. And you can just hear the roar of the ocean. You can't see it.
2: There's, there's it? a few Oh, now. It's absolutely they've stunning. Opened up the, they've opened up the views of the new course, Tiff. It, it, it really is fantastic. I'm
1: going to get down there. This is it, coming at, at, out about because of the uh, New Zealand's, um, a couple of the events have been. Uh,
0: yeah, the New Zealand Open, the New yeah. Zealand PGA got cancelled because of border restrictions and, and COVID, so that the PGA Tour of Australia wanted to put in uh, something else for the play, you know, basically for player opportunity. So two hundred thousand uh, up for grabs. Two, uh, yeah, two hundred grand. It's in Masters Week, um, which Ooh. is a bit unusual, but they've got it from Tuesday to Friday, so they're obviously going to finish it uh, just so that it rolls into the
1: nice
0: to the Masters that at Augusta. Yeah, so it's fifth on. of fifth to eighth of April at the National down at Cape Shank in Victoria. It's a, a magnificent golf complex, as good as you get in the in the world, and it's another opportunity for the players now. Uh, it's Players Championship Week in America, TPC mm. Sawgrass Stadium Course. Uh, did you see the prize pool for this event? Twenty million U.S. US
2: dollars. Oh. What does that equate to? I, mean, I think we're That's seventy-three 30, at the moment, so 30, 40, 40, 30, twenty-eight 40, million dollars. Yep. Yeah,
0: it's it's absolutely unbelievable. So this is the flagship event of the U.S. PGA Tour because mm. clearly they don't, obviously they don't own the Masters, they don't own the U.S. Open. Uh, so this is their big one. They lo- they'd love it to be a major, but they've never been able to get that up. Uh, but compare that 20 million compared to the US Open is 12.5 million this year. Twelve million for the PGA Championship and eleven and a half million for the Masters and the Open Championship mm. at St Andrews. So it's ridiculous money. I mean, the winner earns three point six million yeah. US. So
2: can, can I just speak on that just for a little bit on the fifth major? Uh, because mm. once upon a time, Greg Norman won the Tournament Players Championship. He came out and said, "Yeah, it's a great warm-up for Augusta," and they hated the fact that their flagship was, you know, Greg Norman saying it was a great warm-up for Augusta. It then got moved to the month after April, and when they put it there in April, the, it was too hot for the bent grass greens. So they went back to the Queensland greens, the greens that we saw at Arnold Palmer. So they're, they're just not the best greens to play tournament golf on. I really think with twenty million US dollars, and now we've seen this will be the third year I reckon where the greens are now bent grass green for this time of year, it does start to make the tournament better. It's it's got the best field every single year the yep. tour players championship. Very so it's got the best field every single year and it's got the most money. I mean there are two factors in golf that are undeniable that it belongs almost as a fifth major. I don't think it's going to happen. So what's in my mind, is it? just as good. It's my, what's stopping in, it? I think tradition, Tiff, I think that's the only thing that's stopping it. You know, in, 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 in 1959, the Masters wasn't a major, yet everybody who won the Masters in 1960 was all of a sudden credited yeah. with being a major champion. I, it's
0: I very not be surprised. This yeah, stuff, isn't it? I,
2: I wouldn't be surprised at some stage somebody will be in charge with the courage to tick it off as a major, and then you'll have uh, Greg Norman will probably be credited with winning his third or fourth, I, I think. Know. Did he win one or two? I think I can't remember, but he'll, he'll he might get a couple extra majors just like all those early masters winners. I we'll have to
0: wait and so. see. It's a very good question, Tiff. And I think the answer really is we're not sure who actually makes the decision. Mm. <laughs> um, golf's sort of uh. Structure being what it is, I'm not actually sure who's in charge of. <laughs> it, it was your it's old mob. It was, it was
2: your old mob. The golf riders made the decision in 1960. Oh, so in 1960, because Arnold Palmer won it, he won it in 58, 60, 62, and 64. Easy to remember. But in his first one, his first Masters, wasn't the major. I right. mean, it was just it was just a great tournament, like the Players Championship. So at some stage, you'd think. Um, you know, 20 million best field greens Someone's that to
1: start writing about it. Just green, know, it that is. Are,
2: are comparable with great tournaments. You
0: watch what happens. It will happen well, at some stage. Of course, going way back, the U.S. amateur and the British amateur yeah. on the men's side were considered to be majors. Majors. So that's right. In, Bobby in some Jones's books, day, they were majors. So uh, it has books, been a bit fluid over yeah, the years. So in some knows.
2: books, Martin, in some of the old books, Jack Nicklaus's is, is, is credited with 20 majors, not Correct. 18.
0: Because he well, won I, a couple of amateurs. I think for a long time on Tiger Woods' website, he counted his three US amateurs as majors because yep. people have in the past. So that's right. Anyway, it's Sawgrass this week. Uh, it's got the Island Green 7th hole. It's a gimmicky. Thing. Tiff, have you watched a bit of that? Yeah, I seven, love 120,000 balls a year they say go in there because people just go there to play that hole. Yep. Um, Pete Dye designed it. His wife, he was going to build a bit of a peninsula type setup with you know with water around two sides of the green. His wife Alice said, "Why don't you go all the way around?" So he went round. Um, a lot of people, a lot of the traditionalists don't like it, but it's kind of dramatic. You know, I mean, Bob Tway took a 12 at that hole. Yeah. I mean, a few people have lost the tournament there. A few people have won it. Um I've been there a couple of times, Martin, and with
2: no pressure whatsoever, it's the easiest 9-9 shot you've ever seen with no pressure. But
1: <laughs> Anything's but easy with no pressure.
2: When, when $20 million worth of prize yeah, money is on the line, yeah. it changes things even for the best players in the world. So to me, it's... I, I mean, I'm going to say it. In my view, it's a great hole because it is just the 9-9. Hey,
1: how are the Aussie men looking? Lucas Herbert. Playing. Well,
0: Lucas Herbert had a great finish um, in, in Florida over the weekend. So he finished tied 7th. Only shot 68 in the final round, but it was such an unbelievable uh, setup, as you discussed earlier, uh, that he climbed up to 7th. To so that's a really good, good sign for Lucas. Uh, Matty Jones had a bit of an incident with his putter. Uh, did you see that? Yeah, good technique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he 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 tossed it away, uh, Tiff. If you didn't see, oh, it. into I did the water. That one. He threw it into the water. I, yeah. I, you know what? I reckon he's. I reckon he was
2: trying to throw it away from the water, but <laughs> yeah. he might have hung on to it just for a hair too long, and it went left. That was because bad as well. I reckon for an instant I could see a bit of a shock in his mind that it actually went towards the water.
0: Now we talk about uh hole in one stories on this this little segment, oh, yeah. but I've just got, love, got, a, I've got an albatross story. Now in American in America, as you know, they call it a double eagle, but let's just because we're in Australia, let's call it an albatross. What about two in one round? No, impossible. What you phenomenal. Impossible. Two in one round. Now the guy's name, and this is there are witnesses to this. It's, been, re- it's yes. been reported. It's been reported in uh, Golf Week that uh, Danny Siring. In La Quinta, California, yeah. at the Jack Nicklaus course there, he got to the par 5 11th hole. Yeah. He's 200 yards out, second shot, six iron in the hole. Wow, I've made yeah. an albatross. Right. Albatross nice. is like a once Thanks in a lifetime. Thanks a photo,
1: and he posted.
0: Yeah, I've, ne- I've never had an albatross in my life. Have you ever seen anyone have one? No.
2: Never- uh, that's how rare it is. Oh yes, so I, get- I saw Robert Emond. I saw Robert Emond at the 17th at the Royal Melbourne have one.
0: I was playing Okay, with There him. you go. So I, I was at the course when Adam Scott had one at the Lakes. I believe it was a few years ago, but I didn't physically witness it. So anyway, he's had one at the 11th. Get the photos, and that gets to the 15th hole. He's 205 yards out, pulls out five iron, straight in the hole. So there's a website that that. Uh, <laughs> That tallies these things. They're saying that it's the third ever, ever recorded yeah. instance of a player making it two albatrosses in one round. However, but well, the first one was in 1964. The second was in 2015. But they were both short par fours. Oh, okay. Where the the guys have hold in one, which I have seen, Minji Lee did that in Asia a few years ago. Wow. You know, with some of these short par fours that they're, they're very popular now, aren't they? Where they try and give people a chance to drive the green, it becomes a little bit more possible than a you know a two hundred yard second shot on a par five. So that's an absolute cracker. Maybe he had to shocking. he had to take
1: in the take the original social media post down and replace it.
0: Oh, did he? Why was that, Tiff? <laughs>
1: We had a second one, yeah. You did, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. I get you. Yeah, okay. Well, because now, the first uh,
1: one wasn't as good.
0: <laughs> I can't believe you without uh, talking about my old mate Shane Warne. Uh, you, I know you've already discussed Warney, but just his um, his golf love. Now, uh, I'm sure both of you knew Warnie a bit. I certainly knew him quite well. Mm. Uh, I never played golf with him. I did see him hit a few golf balls at different times. Um, he shot 71 at St Andrews once, yes. He also he, had a hole in one at, at the Augusta. 16th at Augusta. Yes. He did. Yeah. yeah. I he, played, with, I he played loved around golf. with him. He loved yeah, he golf loved as it. much as he loved anything.
2: He was a member of seven different golf courses. That's how much he loved golf.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. He
1: often played in the Challenge, uh, the Challenge Pro-Am. Um with robert allenby's yeah and it and i uh, played one once with him I, I got there a little bit late actually i had some work commitments and got on and i had to hit a ball <laughs> right in front of him and uh and i shanked it and he's like that don't worry about it tiff this is how you do it bang straight onto the <laughs> no, green a
0: good what what a what an unbelievable situation i mean uh it really shocked me to the boots and uh, i just wasn't anticipating that at all particularly after rod marsh the previous day and even going back in the last year dean jones um you know who was a someone that i worked with a lot and wrote a book you know it's just um we've all got to look after each other don't we and look after ourselves so very sad but um you know commiserations and sympathies to the family
1: absolutely Thanks, thanks guys we'll catch you next week thank you Mark Allen with uh, Marco's Masterclass right after this. Wow! final segment of the week as it is every week is Marco's Masterclass and I bet I know who you're going to be talking about today.
2: Well, it's Victor Hovland. Uh, oh, and I'll I tell you what, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what lost him the tournament was his bunker play. Uh, his long bunker shots were hopeless. I mean, literally hopeless. And I know little bits and pieces came up on board, and he's about number 220 on tour for, for his bunkers. But one of the things I couldn't understand, well, he just kept on, on these long bunker shots on really hard greens, was trying to lob the ball that far with a bounce that he didn't know what was going to happen. You're much better off getting the ball to come out lower and letting the ball roll when you don't understand the bounce of a green. The easiest way to do this is just not use the lob wedge, use your 54, use your 50. Sometimes even use a pitching wedge. Just get it out of this little shallow bunker and let the ball roll because when you're counting on what the bounce is going to do on greens where you don't know what the bounce is going to do, it makes it really, really hard to get the ball close to the hole. Anyway, we'll catch you next week.